listening to episode 49, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today, we're wrapping up our conversation with Paul Smith. Paul W. Smith was an on-staff editor for Gospel Publishing House for over 30 years before retiring on April 1, 2018. During his tenure, he worked on adult Sunday school curriculum, books, magazine articles, letters, and other publications that were produced by the General Council of the Assemblies of God. Still an ordained minister, he serves as ministry leader for a Celebrate Recovery chapter in Republic, Missouri. He keeps busy by doing freelance editing and page layout and trying to downsize a lifetime of memorabilia and books. When God does a work in our lives, we have an expectation, or perhaps a hope, that God will instantly take away our struggle completely. But as we observe devout Christians of the past and present, it seems that God rarely removes all of our struggles from us instantly. God does an initial work in our lives that restores hope to us or provides an initial healing, but then we still have to wrestle with continued cravings or severe weaknesses. And we ask God why. We want to be free of our burdens all at once, and although we can't know the answers for sure, we can see in stories like Paul's how God is faithful to continue the healing process in us, even if it lasts for years. Back in January, you said something to me. It was right around the Super Bowl. It was actually the Super Bowl. And so we got to talking about what we were doing for the Super Bowl, I think. And you said something to me. You said, that's the night our Celebrate Recovery group meets and recovery never takes a break. Um, I want to talk to you then about how that's played out in your life and and then I guess your observations uh, how that recovery process takes place because what like I'm seeing a whole bunch of stuff in in your in your life and without trying to list it all but like one one of the things <laughs> one of the things that I love is oh, that you want me to get my inventory? no 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 no, 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 no <laughs> not, not an inventory but like themes that I that I really want people to grasp here and, and and they're themes that I'm trying to preach to myself right now too if I'm being really honest with you it's that you can be a really good in the church Christian doing all of the right things practicing the basics and going through the motions and yet be dealing with deep, deep, deep-seated struggles, darkness in your life, depression, um, through no fault of your own in some cases. And then in other cases, it's because I think the Lord is spurring you to grow in, in, in areas that you're not ready yet to, to give over to Him. In your case, it was right. brought on by a chemical dependency that was doing something physiological to your brain that then yes. manifested itself in a very profoundly spiritual way. Um, all of those things are very legitimate things that people need to, I, I think, recognize that happen. And then if you either have them happening to you or happening to a friend of yours, I would call for grace to be given in that situation and to, and to recognize, I think, through your story that those things happen and that, number one, it's okay. And number two, there is hope for recovery if you're going yeah. through those things. Um, yeah. So – with that being said, I want to ask you then about, you go to this first meeting, you discover hope for the first time in years. 
What does your process of recovery look like, though, after that? It's not a, it's not, or or maybe it was. Was it like an instantaneous, I'm good to go? Now it's just walking through the steps as part of, you know, the the process or like so what has your journey been like over the last 11 years recovering from this depression okay um boy sometimes healing happens instantaneously and i've known people that had that happen to them even going through the 12 steps um, when they did their inventory, God did a tremendous work in their life. I'm sure you've known people who became Christians and bang, everything mm-hmm. was right. But not that doesn't happen to everybody. Um, I, I have known people who um, they were alcoholics and drug addicts and God removed all that from them. Um, and this one guy, you know, he had he was dependent on he had meth and he had marijuana. He had I mean, every possible drug he, he'd done and he was also an alcoholic when he got saved all the drugs went away but he was still an alcoholic mm. why well we don't know mm-hmm. why um I, I don't understand god's ways in some ta- some days because something like this happens but some of the things that happen to us they don't go away um that's what discipline is all about is that you deal with these things from a spiritual aspect um, they don't go away just because I've surrendered them to Christ. They don't go away just because I've done 12 steps. Or, um, uh, But these, the, the 12 steps for me are, are tools that God uses in my life to spur me on to seek after God to be more like him. Um, you, uh, um, I'm in 12-step program for other people so that, it, that they can find the hope and the change in life that I found. But I'm not just there for them, I'm for me as well. Because I need spiritual development in my own life. Um, and that comes in a lot of different ways. There's, there's no one way that God puts change in people's life. And how many spiritual disciplines are there? <laughs> Many. Exactly. <laughs> I have I have a book. I have a book with 30, you know. We have a handbook that I think has like 50 some in there. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah, and then that. makes a note that this is not an exhaustive yes, list. Yes, that's right. She does do <laughs> that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably familiar with that book um with my work with with uh, Renovari mm-hmm. and Conversations Journal. I I had to buy these books cuz I was editing this <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> I had to figure out, well, what is this stuff, you know? Um, anyway, so I, I, and you know, I, like I said, I was, I was in, I wasn't just involved in Celebrate Recovery. I was in, I would, before I got into Celebrate Recovery, I was involved in um, the, like I said, I was not actually part of Renovari, but I edited a magazine that was um, started by um, Dallas Willard, Larry Crabb, um, um, Richard Foster and Gary Moon. Um, and these four gentlemen were the driving force behind this magazine. And they were great at everything except editing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gary, um, Dr. Moon, was 
part of this curriculum commission that I was a part of where we wrote adult Sunday school materials. A very creative man. Um, so when they did their first issue, I got a copy of it and I read it through the first, he, he gave it to us one e at, at a meeting and we went out for dinner that night. And then the next day we were together and I said, um, are you aware of, and I just started listing <laughs> stuff to him. Good editor. <laughs> and, and yeah. And he said, uh, um, well, no. <laughs> so, um, I said, I would be happy to do this for free. I would be glad to look this over. I mean, it's just a matter of little stuff. I said, but the idea is that you have one writer who writes this way and another writer who writes this way and their capitalization, their, um, their your different kinds of punctuation and the way you have it set in there. Um, I said, these things need to be, if you read any journal, they're smoothed out by the editor. I said, I wouldn't change the context. I would smooth it out. So that's what I did. And I started, he said, I can't, I can't do it. You can't do it for, for me for free. He said, we have to have you a part of the group. So I did, I became a part of the group and they sent to me every, uh, twice a year. Um, eventually after a couple, I, um, I actually formatted the whole issue using the design that the original designer had. And then I have a designer in Springfield who worked with me to do the, the stuff I couldn't do. So I did that for 10 years and then they then they got uh, a different uh, group to do it, but I still did the proofing of it. So I still involved in that as a proofing editor. Um, where was I going with that? <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Um, I was involved I was involved in that and I was aware of it. Um, and um, in fact when when I was going through this when I was they were trying uh, there, by the way, there are a lot of different uh, medications that you can take for depression, depending on, you know, your physiology and way your brain works and all that. So Gary Moon, um, Dr. Moon is a psychologist. And so I called him and I told him what was going on. And he um, uh, <laughs> and I told him what what I was taking. And and I, I and he says, well, don't give up, he said. Eventually, they'll find it. He says, you still got 51 more medications to go through before that. <laughs> I said, what? Oh, yeah. Okay, here's, here's a funny story. You don't have to keep this in your podcast if you don't want to. So I was talking with Gary Moon and, and the medications that my doctor was prescribing and how it was reacting to it. And, I, and he, uh, he said, now look. He said, this is the way you got to look at it. He says, your brain cells are like islands. He said, and what you and each island is full of trucks, and the trucks have to get from one island to the other, and so your brain supplies these boats to take the trucks to the other side. He said, your problem is you got too many boats in the water. Mm. So the the medications I took took care of that, and that, which is kind of an interesting way of looking at it. But you know, how does the brain work? Nobody really knows, but that's a, a picture to see how what's going on and how the medications work. So. That's, you don't have to put that in your podcast, yeah. which is funny. <laughs> so anyway, so I was I was involved in, in the spiritual. Uh, I, I did spiritual disciplines, you know, ever since I've been a Christian, you know, Bible reading, prayer, going to church, fellowshipping with other Christians. I mean, I was going to a Christian. I lived in a Christian organization. I walked to work, you know, every day, and I was with Christians 
practically my whole life. Uh, and so I was, you know, the, the different Christian uh, spiritual disciplines, I was doing a lot of them. I mean, it was more than Bible reading, prayer, that kind of thing. There, you know, there's solitude. There's, um, uh, of course, when you think about it, you can't yeah. all mention all of them that you, were, that you were doing, but I was doing a lot of them and being exposed to them that I would not, never have thought was a spiritual discipline. Um, so, uh, but when I, when I got depressed and the hopelessness came in, what Celebrate Recovery did for me was it, it was like a, uh, a, a, um, a bridge from what I knew to what I experienced. So all these things that I had been, that I had been learning about spiritual disciplines, about how God works in your life, Celebrate Recovery became a bridge for that, for God to work in my life and begin to experience some of the things that I had learned. That's really helpful because I, I do. I think it's important for us to to really grasp that this idea of recovery, you know, I, I like the way that you said it. It's like we might surrender these things to God, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're gone instantly. It it, it becomes a daily surrendering over and over again. Um and, I, I, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you know about my story or not, but I'll tell you why this means so much to me that you're sharing this. Um, and, and I'll start actually with uh, with with another story. Um, so two <laughs> stories for the price of one. So my mom, Ooh. my mom was one of those people who got when she got saved, she was a cigarette smoker and she was at a uh, a, a women's meeting a what they used to call back in the day, like a WM's meeting um, where the women would get together and they like on Tuesday afternoons and they would have a service for them. And she was praying, you know, God, please deliver me from these cigarettes. And it happened instantly for her. And she never craved a cigarette again. Like it just, it was instantaneous. Um, Fast forward a whole bunch of years. My mom had uh, some, some back issues similar to what you explained and she had had a couple of surgeries well anyway she had gotten you know pain pills were basically the only way that she could she could manage one thing led to another anyway she ended up very addicted to them although she would not admit that for a a really long time but to anybody who was you know in the family it, it, it really took a toll on her her mental health and and all that sort of stuff um she ended up getting much, much better. Finally found a chiropractor, very, very professional place. I won't go into all this stuff. Anyway, it seemed to to do a, a number and just relieve all of the, the back tension. Um, but she, she still dealt with so much depression and like when you're just, especially on those pain medicines, man, like they just cause such a chemical dependency in your brain and they just, they do, they can rewire you in, in such a radical way. Um, but my mom ended up losing the battle with depression and all that stuff uh, a little over three years ago now. She took her own life. And so um, she was, to many people who knew her, she was a giant in the faith, man. Like she was the the prayer warrior. Like nobody would have ever thought this. And she hid it pretty well from most people, you know, outside of the family. And uh, that, But that's why I believe in this stuff so much is that, man, if you're dealing with stuff, like you need to get help with it. You need to – it needs to be okay that you do it. That's, I think there's still such a huge stigma around 
dealing with this. Although it's much better now to, today than it than it was, you know, uh, ten years, twenty years ago, and all that. But it, it yeah, it, there still needs to be more outreach when it when it comes to this stuff. And uh, it seems like the only time for me as a survivor of suicide now, um, it seems to me the only time that we actually care about issues like this is when it comes out in the news that somebody else has taken their life. And it is. It's it's a tragedy. It's terrible. But it feels like all we do is, you know, we say like, hey, go get help or say something about it, you know, and then we don't really do anything, which is why I'm, I'm really am excited to learn about the Celebrate Recovery, because uh, this needs to become a serious part of what we do to, to treat people. And um, and so, yeah, anyway, so I just want to say thank you for sharing that that part of your your testimony and, and your life with us, because, man, people need to go check this stuff out. Well, and it's also important to recognize that the potential ongoing struggle that we have. I mean, we kind of started a section of this conversation by saying recovery never takes a break. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, you hear, it was just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we talked to Alan Fadling and he was uh, mentioning how people who are recovering from things continue even like 30 yeah. years later to, to use the language. I am in recovery right now. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes as Christians, we have this, this mindset that, Okay, maybe maybe God's not going to deliver me right now. Maybe it's not going to be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's just because I don't have enough faith. I'm not doing the right things right now. I'm not practicing the right spiritual disciplines. Uh, but whenever I get that all figured out, then it's going to be done. It's going to be over with, and I can move on as a normal Christian. Mm-hmm. And we have this picture of what a normal Christian is, and then you look at all of these other um great heroes of the faith especially some of those throughout church history who have gone through these really dark nights of the nights of the soul and some of these some of these christians have been through stuff that just lasted their entire lives and it it's almost like well that burden was never lifted from them mm-hmm. but what's what's the christian life look like with that and especially when it comes to these issues that we continue to deal with over and over as we are in recovery yeah it's just it, it's important for us to to understand that i think as the as the church and it seems like we've been unable to articulate and then wrestle with that well mm-hmm. yeah um let me yeah, interject please. here um i did not feel safe in my church mm. i did not feel i could share anything with anybody in my church which is why i went to my doctor why didn't I feel safe in my church? Because there's this mystique, this idea that when you're a Christian, all your problems go away, which we know isn't true. But for years, it was preached that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we get this mindset, well, this is the way it has to be. And so I'm not, I've got to act this way, even though I don't feel this way, because this is what I'm supposed to do. And so I didn't feel that I, you know, gossip is horrible in the church. <clears throat> so I didn't think, well, what if it came back to my work that I was experiencing these things? Would I lose my job? I didn't know. Yeah. So when, so when I like to put in my testimony, my, my mother abandoned our family when I was, when I was 14. Um, she got angry. Um, we moved from a country to into the city and she loved gardening and she loved, so when we moved in the city, my mother became angry and angry and angrier. Um, 
But I look back on it and I look at it and I think she had no safe place where she could talk about these things, where she'd go and find the healing that she needed. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of angry people in our churches, but do they know they can find help for their anger? Or do they even realize that it's a problem? Mm -hmm. But there's so many other things in our lives like that. Um, so we need, we, the, we need the church to be, not just celebrate recovery, we need the church to be a safe place where we can deal with all these issues in yes. our lives, the good and yes. the bad. And that's why I like Celebrate Recovery because it does provide a safe place. When I mentioned before that I had lunch with my one of my pastors and I started talking about all these things or that I had surrendered to the Lord, that the Lord had shown to me that weren't solved yet, but they were there. And, and he said, how can you talk about them? Because they don't have power over me mm -hmm. anymore. And I don't care who knows about it. Now, not everybody's like that. Some people would, you know, this is celebrate recovery. I can talk about it here, but I don't talk about it elsewhere. That I respect that entirely. But I feel if I'm open like that, someone else could be open mm -hmm. to me, even if it's mm -hmm. privately. That I'm willing to expose my what we call hurts, hangups, and habits. All the problems in my life, some are solved, some are solved, some are resolved, and some are not. But I can talk about them so that other people can feel well. If he can talk about them, maybe this is a safe place where I can talk about yeah. them too. Your vulnerability invites vulnerability in kind. And uh, that's that's yeah. my hope. And I think, again, oh, I love it. That needs to become part of the church, not just some extra sectioned off. We can have, I think, the sectioned off groups if we need extra safe places. And I think that that's wise in certain, yeah. uh, you know, situations, but we, we do have to become much more open and honest in our general church environment so that we can struggle together so that we're not pushing people out. You know, I was actually meditating just, uh, this week in, in fact, on, on something like this, cause you know, I'm feeling kind of down and stuff like that. <laughs> I struggle with my own depression here. So, um, but, but, you know, you go through these, you go through the same, you know, I'm not worth anything or what have I contributed lately and all that sort of stuff. And I feel like it, it came up recently, Josh, and I don't know, maybe Alan talked about it or I read something. I don't know. It, I'm trying to find out where it is. So maybe you, maybe if this sounds familiar, okay. <laughs> but it's from, and I'm not, I, I'm going to blank on the, the verse, although I can tell you it's second Corinthians. I forget the chapter and it starts in verse eight, but it's <laughs> where Paul, right? He, he is essentially chastising the Corinthians for doing this thing of bragging about how great they are and how they, they never have any trouble. And Paul comes back with saying, I boast in my weaknesses, and I asked God three times to take this thing away from me, and his answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. And I, if, I, if I were to show you one of our coins or chips mm -hmm. that we give, on every one it says, my grace is enough mm -hmm. for you. It's, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 12. 12 that's what 8. it is. <laughs> 12. I knew the verse, but I forgot the chapter. <laughs> because that's that's got to be the center of our, our life yes. in Christ. Regardless of what happens to us, God's grace is enough yes. for us. It's got to be. Um, that the, 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 whole, the biggest problem, I think, with especially with the holiness and Pentecostal groups, is that they don't know what grace mm. is. Come on. They, they think if we act a certain way, we dress a certain way, then we're holy. And it just isn't true. My holiness comes from yes, Christ. Yeah. 
It's because I'm in Christ and he makes me mm. holy. And it's only by his grace that this happens. In fact, Paul said deliberately, he says, it's by God's grace I am what I am, which makes grace a power greater than anything we can mm -hmm. conceive of. If it can make Paul what he was because of who he was, it's got to be incredible. Yeah, I really enjoy what uh, Doug Oss, one of our former professors, my, my master's thesis advisor, uh, he, he would put it this way. People ask him, like, are you, are you a good Christian? And he would say, well, no, but I'm devout. <laughs> and we make this, I think we have this mental image of what a good Christian is. And in reality, I think what, what Jesus is calling us to is not goodness, but devoutness. I mean, you look all the way through the entire Gospel of John, and it's not do, do, do. It's just believe, mm -hmm. follow me. And it, Paul's life, I think, is a, a great demonstration of that, because you look at where he came from as a Pharisee, the things that he did to the church, um, and, and you just you watch the way he talks in his letters throughout his entire life, and it just progressively becomes more and more about, I am... At the end of his, toward the end of his life, the chief of sinners, um, I am wretched. But then he talks yeah. about God's grace as being the the one thing that just takes care of all of that. Mm -hmm. And you look at what he writes in Romans, where he says that Christ's righteousness is imputed or or basically put on us, not out of anything that we've done. It's just given to us freely. And so, preach it. It's <laughs> we have to. We have to get past this idea that as Christians we have to be good. It's not that we shouldn't be trying to be good, but the reason that we try to be good is not because we're called to truth. <laughs> this is going to sound like splitting hairs. We're not called to be good so that we can be Christians. We're called to be Christians so that we can be good as a that's not splitting hairs. As yeah, a result of, of following Jesus and all we're called to do is follow Jesus. And, and it's at that point where uh, I like what um, Henry, Henry Nouwen's approach. We are at that point, wounded healers. We're in the process of being healed ourselves. I think John Piper even says that uh, um, ministers are, of the gospel are convalescing cripples in a room full of lame people. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Piper <laughs> statement. Yeah. And so... I think the I think the way the church turns the corner on this thing is recognizing that like Jesus said there is no one who is good but God. And and from that right. we can live in this place of grace and then out of that we can we can begin to experience healing as we just walk with each other towards Christ. Amen. That's correct. Paul we were going to keep going, but I think I'm going to let yeah. you go since we're already like <laughs> we're a bit over 25 minutes over our time. Um, perhaps we should have you back on I, and talk later. I could, yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy this. This is great talking about this. If this can help anybody, I mean, I'm all yeah. for it. I think this is um, going to be very helpful. And uh, again, I want to just impress upon people, if nothing else, like there is a change that like that change is possible. Recovery is possible and that there are people in the church who are willing to sit with you and listen and hear from you that you don't have to be afraid. 
Right. Um, is there anywhere people can go to find out more about you or your work or you want to direct them towards anything? Give a plug. <laughs> Me personally, no. <laughs> uh, if they're in this area, um, you know, I we do our celebrity recovery at um, First Church of Nazarene in, um, in Republic. Um, uh, if they want to know about more about celebrate recovery, they can go to celebraterecovery.com. It's, it's mm-hmm. all there. You know, especially if they want to look at the twelve steps, they um, they also um, they also have what they call the the eight principles based on the Beatitudes, which are parallel to the twelve steps. I hope that our conversation with Paul has given you a sense of hope. If God could bring him to salvation fifty years ago, and then continue to work in his life today, despite having depression and hopelessness in his past. He can work on your life as well. Maybe you're like me and struggle to ever feel good enough to be a Christian. Whatever your struggle in the present moment, God's work in you isn't over yet. And his continued work in your life is a sign that you belong to him. If you struggle in particular with depression or mental illness, I want to encourage you to find someone who can walk with you. If you live in the Springfield area, Paul would love to meet with you at the Celebrate Recovery Group that meets at the First Church of the Nazarene in Republic. And there are many in the church who are waiting to accept you and your struggle as God continues to do his work in your life. If you want more information or you just want to talk, please send us an email at dailygrowthdiscipleship at gmail.com. We would love to hear your story or just to help you get connected with someone else who can walk with you. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Paul's work, check out CelebrateRecovery.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Chris and I talk about the role of spiritual disciplines in training to become more like Jesus. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to DailyGrowthDiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.